Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast for people who want to know the how and the why of of slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. Thank you for joining us. And my name is Ben McCallery and you're listening to episode 159 where Brooke is going to speak to Bronnie Ware. I am. I am. This is such a beautiful, optimistic, positive, truthful conversation. I absolutely loved it. Tell us a little bit about Bronnie. So Bronnie Ware, I'm sure most of you, even if you don't know her name, probably are, uh, you're aware of her blog posts that she wrote way back in 2009. She wrote this blog post that went absolutely... Mental. Yeah. I remember completely it. Completely viral. Like, it was... It was on all the news. Like, I, mm. it just it just blew up the internet. And, it's, and it's, it's, the blog post, of course, is top five regrets of the dying. And... Bronnie was a a nurse in palliative care for a long time and worked obviously with people who were, you know, at the end of their life, their last days. And she would would either live with them or, or care for them in their homes typically. And she heard over the years these this this common thread of regret that people had when they were facing these last days of their life. And she found it so incredibly moving and, and so much richness I guess or so much to learn from these these common regrets that people kept talking to her about that she wanted to write them down and and she understood that there is so much to learn from that as Mm. as someone who is not at the end of their life someone who's in the thick of it you know Mm. and so my understanding is you don't actually talk about the blog post we don't so I wanted to talk about it really quickly now Mm -hmm. because I think that there is so much there and this it obviously informs a lot of what Bronnie has done since she's gone on to write books uh she's got a new book out at the moment called bloom which is about you know facing up to to challenges and and our upper limits and how to help ourselves kind of surrender into it soften into it and and actually move through it more more rapidly with more depth but so much of what she she does now is has been informed by by her earlier work and i just Mm. wanted to talk about those five regrets really quickly because they're things that i think about a lot uh particularly with you know, our exercise with eulogy writing and legacy and that kind of stuff, it's something mm. that I really do consider quite deeply. Mm-hmm. So the five regrets that she found most common in her patients were, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Mm. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And I wish that I had let myself be happier. And I, I just find them so phenomenally core mm. to, to life. Nice yeah. So if you haven't read Bronnie's post, I highly recommend that you check it out. You can find everything that she's written over at bronnieware.com, uh, as well as links to all her social media and her, she's got some events coming up at the moment. There's a couple, I think um, there's one in Sydney and one in Perth. And you can also uh, find links to where you can purchase her books as well on that website. But go and check out the top five regrets of the dying and see the impact that it can have. Because I think what it does is cut through. Mm, absolutely. You know, like writing mm. a eulogy or thinking mm. about your, your, your kind of lifelong values. It cuts through all the stuff that doesn't matter, yeah. which is what we spend most of our time worrying about. So, Yeah, check out the blog. Actually, pause the podcast and read the uh, blog before yeah. you go. Because that... While it doesn't inform me, it's a nice to have before you've listened to the conversation. And Bronnie's just really wonderful, really kind and, and 
gentle, I think, is a word that I would use to describe her, but gentle and, and wise and compassionate and, and clever and just lovely. Mm. And bizarrely, she lived down the street from us, like literally 50 metres away. She did. Not anymore, but when she was probably writing, when she wrote that blog post, she probably did. That's right. When she wrote this, the, the top five regrets of dying. Yeah. It's it, so bizarre. It really is. And I, had, I, I genuinely had no idea because she lives elsewhere now. But So I, I, I really think that you'll enjoy this, this episode. It's very, like I said, gentle and kind, but really positive and optimistic and hopeful, I mm. think. And Bronnie talks a lot about challenges and, and how to, to overcome them and how to, like I said before, soften into them. And we talk about that through the, the ideas of meditation and simplifying and not getting caught up with keeping up with the Joneses, all that kind of stuff and how doing all of those things allows us the space and the energy and the time in order to soften into into life's challenges and I think it's such a nice counterpoint to so much of what we're exposed to in life at the moment everything's you know we've got to push we've got to hustle in order to to succeed we even if if, if it's to succeed in simplifying we've got to do it hard and Bronnie's just so the opposite of that, just so soft and, mm. and gentle and kind and strong as well. So it's a wonderful conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Just briefly, though, before we start that conversation, I wanted to talk about a new show that we've got over at Jackrabbit. It's our first foray into comedy, which is quite different <laughs> to some of the shows. As funny as I think I am, we're definitely on a comedy show. So we've got a, a new show starting uh, next week. It's called Sample Conversations with Seamus D. McCallery. Well, that sounds like a familiar name. Seamus is my brother. He's a comedian. And this is his first foray into podcasting. And we thought it would be great to have him on the network. His show's called Sampled Conversations. And you can catch episode zero following the conversation with Bronnie today. Yeah. So make sure you keep listening towards the end. And if you're interested... Go on to iTunes, subscribe, Sampled Conversations. It'll come out every Thursday. And it's a nice counterpoint to all the seriousness that we <laughs> it definitely discuss is that. on this network. So anyway, if you're interested, check it out. We appreciate the support. And enjoy my conversation with Bronnie. doing well thanks Brooke yourself I'm really well thank you so much for uh, making the time to talk to me I'm really excited to, to chat with you today oh thank you it's a pleasure it is we were actually just talking uh, off air before I hit record and it turns out that you literally lived around the corner from me <laughs> in the beautiful yeah up in the beautiful cool cold blue mountains yes it was it was a really special time for me yeah, so I didn't realise that that's where you were when you wrote, you know, the the top five regrets of the dying, the article that kind of exploded you into the into the uh, the limelight, but Cy into the cybersphere. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, man, that must have been quite a, a ride for you when that all all happened. 
yes, it was. I mean, it was actually about six or eight months after I, I wrote that. I'd moved up to the mid-north coast by then and was living on a 2,000-acre farm and just hanging out in my tracky dacks by the creek with the wallabies. And, yeah, and it took off then. But I, I wasn't ready when I first wrote it for for that level of success and I'd been through a huge life-changing time in between when I wrote it and when it took off so that sort of cracked me open and, and got me ready so you know it's all in timing. Isn't it? It really is all in time but it's also all in um, something that I want to talk to you kind of in depth about today but all in in embracing the idea that maybe think the timing isn't with us and, and that it will be when it needs to be. Yes. I want to say congratulations to you on your success and, and your writing and your books particularly and to say thank you as well for the impact that you've had on people's lives. I mean, I'm sure you hear it all the time, but but the things that you write about and the way that you write them, it has such a profound impact on people and not just in the moment but going forward in, you know, in, in very long-term kind of ways. So I, I really just wanted to say thank you for what you do and, um, oh. yeah, I hope that you know that that's the impact that you're having on people. Um, thank you. It's. I, I guess I need to hear it sometimes because I, I can forget. I'm just getting on with the, the next step of the journey sometimes, and it it does help to stop and and remember what what's what I've actually done and the courage that it's taken to do that. So I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. No, you're welcome. And it's really. I mean, it's incredibly timely that you and I are sitting down to talk today, given the topic of your new book, Bloom. Uh, and just the fact that my husband and I have wrapped up on the podcast only last week a series of four episodes talking about and helping people uncover their why. And, and for me, my why began forming, I guess, when I wrote, I sat down and wrote my own eulogy a few years ago. Oh, fantastic. It, it really was probably the most influential kind of activity you know sit down kind of activity that I've ever done because it has informed everything that I've done since and you know we spoke about that in the podcast a lot and I've sort of tried to help people walk through what that process might look like for themselves but one of the things that uh, I, I guess I wanted to talk to you about is this process this ongoing journey of uncovering our why and then having the courage to to look deep into it and figure out what that actually looks like in our day-to-day -day life. And that's a lot of what you talk about in Bloom, isn't it? Mm, yes, I do. Um, yeah, it's it's about coming into our best self and, and why we're called into that, yes. But well done on that eulogy. That's that's so courageous because that's a big part of what is, is lacking in a, in um, our society in general and in our individual lives is, is actually contemplating our own death. And in doing so, it gives you the courage once you've worked out your why, it gives you the courage to acknowledge that we're on limited time. You know, my, my respect to you for doing that. That's fantastic. Thank you. And I mean, I, for me, it was incredibly jarring in the beginning because I would look at what my eulogy said and I would look at the life that I was living at the time and think if I kept living in the way that I'm currently living, will my life end up the way that my eulogy appears? And the terrible answer was no. And that was really upsetting and very jarring and very kind of shocking because up until that point, I guess the best way to describe the way I've been living was mindless. You know, I, I wasn't intentional with what I was, where my, my energy and my attention and my time was going. And I think it's this really difficult period of, of having to readjust what we're doing with our day to day in order to live the kind of life we want to live. And you spoke to you, you spoke a minute ago about having, you know, a big period of upheaval. And I know you've had 
you know, some more periods of upheaval and challenge <laughs> since. Mm. How do you harness those those times of real difficulty and and use them to move through rather than just kind of, you know, stop and, and keep it to the surface of, of things? Mm, well, I I mean, I, I am automatically a positive person. I do look for the positives in things, but that's not denying the growth and the, the pain that you've got to go through. I think that we can be too optimistic sometimes and just not, you know, in the society, always, always be happy and look for the gratitude. And I am a really grateful person. But if we don't also acknowledge the pain and the, um, the need for release that we have, then we're really going to be hindered and, and not grow, grow through. So for me, when I go through major challenges now, I look for the blessings, absolutely, and I'm, I always have such a strong faith in life that there is a blessing there to bring and that it's there to bring me into my best self. But I also have the courage to surrender to whatever the challenge is and to go through it rather than spend all my time resisting it because that's that's a lot of energy resistance. So by surrendering into the lesson, it doesn't mean I, I'm enjoying it or I'm happy about it or, you know, there's any any great you know excitement about it it's more just like oh you're joking but at the same time I know that if I say okay this is the card I've been dealt right now how am I going to deal with this I'm going to deal with it by looking at it straight on and surrendering into it and that does take you through with so much less resistance and then you can find those blessings in between all the the other upheavals so for me it's just surrendering the resistance and and surrendering into what is in that moment but knowing that that it's still up to me how long how how I uh, perceive the lessons because if I can still find gratitude through them, then they're not going to um, completely kill me as they could. Yeah, and I think I mean I, there's so much that you just said that I want to want to dig into, uh, but I think the idea of of not pushing back against you know not not fighting that that resistance and and really just I talk about this idea of you know feeling your feelings, like giving yourself permission to really go deep into your feelings and actually experience the the entire breadth and depth of them. Because, like you said, so much energy goes into fighting that when usually that's the way through. And often I've found in my own kind of you know moments of, of difficulty that by pushing myself or not, not even pushing, like you say, softening or surrendering into what a challenge is or what it looks like. That's where we kind of experience growth and, and change and, and further understanding. And um, I mean, I get the sense that that's been your experience as well, that on the other side of those challenges is growth and, you know, more depth or more connection. Um, it, it is that that growth and connection, but it's also the transformation through it. So the growth and connection is is waiting on the other side, and it is still present all the way through. But what's happening is is we're going if if we're going through a major life upheaval, then we're going through a, a transformation that's taking us from who we used to be into who we're to be for the next chapter of our journey. And and without that um, that acceptance of it, and and that even embracing it, or you know, once we let go of that that resistance, then finding that that growth and connection on the other side is is um, is clouded, and we take the long way around to get there by by just surrendering into it and accepting. Okay, this is a time of transformation. It's not comfortable at all. I hate almost all of it, but it is a time of transformation, then that's right. We, we find that, that connection on the other side to ourselves and to, to everything that's waiting for us in, in the next chapter. And 
And when we get to the other side, then, of course, we can actually say, wow, that, that was actually worth it, rather than still be stumbling through saying, why, you know, why am I still going through this? Or what on earth was that about? We actually get to the other side and think, wow, I, I hated that, but thank you. That was, that was worth it. You said the word comfortable and, you know, discomfort, and that always that, that speaks to me a lot because I think we do, just as humans, we do a lot to avoid discomfort and I think we distract ourselves to, you know, to our wits ends almost in order to avoid it. But I think the reality is, as you say, if we do avoid it, we're just prolonging those challenges or, or we're, we're prolonging the period in between where we are and where we need to be uh, just to avoid being uncomfortable. And how, I mean, how do you become okay with being uncomfortable? Well, we also prolong the rewards. I'll just say that. Yes. You know, when we prolong the growth, we prolong the rewards. Well, it's part of life. Discomfort is a part of life. And we really, I've had so much darkness and so much light that I now know that the light means nothing without the darkness. It's, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm, saying to life, come on, bring it on, I want some more, you know, some more darkness, some more challenges. But I could never appreciate ease and joy and, and flow from without the, the lessons I've, I've had. So I just keep trusting that, so the, the discomfort, I don't like it, but I, I trust that it is given to me from a place of love to bring me into my best self. And that always allows me to surrender into it because I always think, okay, I, I don't want this, but right now this is the way it is. And, and, and that, does, does, that acceptance does, does deepen my faith and my level of surrender and does bring me to a much better place on the other side. What role does mindfulness play in all of this for you? I mean, how much of of this ability to surrender and this understanding of it do you think has come from mindfulness and even more specifically meditation because i know that you're someone who who really does put a lot of importance on meditation as well yes mindfulness well it's everything mm. it's yeah presence is is completely it for me i and and you know when you when you're able to surrender and when life forces you so many hard lessons on you that you're actually blessed with the the lessons in surrendering on deeper and deeper and deeper layers, then you do become into a more present state naturally. And so for me, I, I just find amazing freedom through through mindfulness and presence because you, you don't spend all your time worrying about the future or dwelling on the past. And I, I know I've, you know, I, I'm human. I've, I've spent, I've created plenty of unnecessary angst either way on, you know, looking forward or back. But now I just find that, you know, because I've been through a journey with illness and that taught me mindfulness on, on a huge level because because I just wasn't fit to do anything for a long time and and so I I just find mindfulness is 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 it it's the gold medallion you know that that the more you can bring your consciousness back into this moment and to own where your mind is going gosh it, it just untangles everything I love that it just untangles everything it, and it does I mean for me it's I, I think we get caught up in what does mindfulness look like? You know, do is it is it a coloring in book? Is it some kind of particular exercise in mindfulness? Is it, you know, is it something that I can learn at a conference? And it can be any or all of those things. But I think for me, it's just the simplicity of paying attention. You know, really being present and paying attention to what we're doing, regardless of whether that is, you know, as we were talking about, pleasant or or unpleasant or comfortable or uncomfortable. And I think that there's just such a reward for for allowing things to be untangled, like you said. I think that's a great way of putting it. 
Mm, but it's also remembering to pay attention. I mean, that's that's where the skill comes in and the practice because we can pay attention a little bit here and there if, if something's so intense, either way, good or bad, so, you know, perceived as good or bad, and that makes us pay attention. But it's, it's remembering to pay attention at the times when life's just cruising along and and to actually bring ourselves back and 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 that's that's where meditation is is such a, a, a fantastic tool because it does give teach you ownership of your mind and so you can actually see pain or the uh, distraction that runaway thoughts are creating and that's when you do remember to bring your attention back and the more that we have that awareness to bring our attention back then yeah the, the more freedom we're actually the more space within our minds that we're creating for ourselves that we're gifting ourselves yeah i i agree i mean i think the 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 learned skill of being able to bring things back constantly when we find ourselves distracted or we find ourselves overwhelmed or or feeling you know anxious or, or whatever it may be the the ability i guess to bring things back to the present moment is exactly what i've learned from meditation as well i'm not like this blissed out person who kind of floats around on a cloud all day but you have the ability to own what's happening in your thoughts and to understand that just because you think something doesn't make it true Uh, and just because there's a thought there doesn't mean you need to engage with it and I think that that's such a powerful thing to learn and to be able to then carry into the you know the rest of life as well Mm. well that's that's wisdom in action that's that's consciousness in action rather than just you know wisdom in contemplation and and considering you know all the levels and beauty of of life in stillness um but to actually apply that to everyday life is is fantastic because that's 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 how we we actually create a, a more flowing life on so many levels yeah so for for me and the people listening to to this uh conversation a lot of what we're we're aiming for or working towards is a, a simpler slower life for, and, and i know that that's something that you have worked towards over mm. the years and you know i think you've been successful in in creating that and crafting that what does that look like for you, though? What does a simpler, slower life look like? Oh, it's just beautiful. I look at it. It's my life right now. I love it. It's it's having space. Space is my is my medicine, and it's having space to breathe. It's having space to go about your day and do what needs to be done, but without pressure and stress on yourself. And it's also space for spontaneity. It's a lack lack of clutter on all levels like within your home within your mind within your plans within your conversation within yeah within everything so I I was I learned simplicity because I was so poor for a long time that I was just in I just did poverty really well in my adult first adult years and so I got to a stage where I was dependent upon food vouchers from uh, charity organizations and caught up in the Centrelink system. This is a long time ago, but it was so, I was so broke that that I had to learn simplicity. And then I had a time where I was moving around regularly through house sitting. And so I was packing up my belongings every few weeks or every few months. And so every time something would come in, I would think, oh, do I really, like, I'm going to have to lug this to another house soon. So is it really valuable to me? Through those sort of lessons and those chapters in my life, when I then got back into, got into a life where I was actually earning regular income and then a decent income, I realized that simplicity actually suited me much more than than clutter or busyness anyway. Mm. And 
And so for me, knowing myself that well and recognizing that I'm hindered and um, I really suffer without simplicity, it's just made made it not just a, a desire, but a necessity for my well-being just to be able to, to have that space. And so I have to say no to a lot on all sorts of levels, but but I do because it's it's not good for my well-being otherwise. And I, I'm not going to create a life I'm going to regret just to please everyone else when the best I can do is be kind to myself and then use that example to help others. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Again, you just sort of touched on quite a few really important things, the idea of expectations and what we feel like we should be doing for others, um, first of all, and how we often create a really complicated or overcommitted life because of that. And I think it takes some level of awareness to see that that's what we're doing and then a lot of practice in saying no and extricating ourselves from things in order to to create the sort of life that works for us, not the one that works for other people necessarily. How do you say no? I mean, do you find it difficult to say no? Well, you get better with practice. Yes. And it, ta- it takes courage sometimes, especially if it's involving the opportunity to make money because we all need to earn money. And, you know, I, I've been on a journey with disease, so I wasn't working for a long time and I still need to earn money. But I just know through practice, again, and through surrendering and and leaps of faith that I've taken, that when I say no, life gives me shortcuts to where I need to go anyway, when I create that space and that simplicity and keep committed to simplicity. So we can often say yes to things out of fear because we're worried we'll miss an opportunity. But if we're saying no from a a true heartfelt place in honouring our needs and our well-being, then life does reward and say, okay, well, you may have missed that opportunity and a lot of opportunities may have come from that. But this way, we'll give you this instead, this opportunity, which is much more aligned to who you are and the lifestyle you need and everything else. So for me, it's, I mean, it, it takes courage and and just to, I just say no in a genuine way. I, I don't say no with a defensive attitude to say, you know, you know, just stop wanting me. Everyone stop wanting me. It's because that's that's. I'm very grateful for that. That I get so many opportunities come my way, and some I can say yes to, like like this this interview because I love love what you're doing. So, but as you know, I had to say no to you a few months ago because I just couldn't I couldn't fit it in. So I just say no from a heartfelt place, and and I'm I'm, I'm just honest. Okay, I'm sorry. There's not enough time in the day. I have to leave space for my life outside of everything else. I'm saying no to. So. So, sorry, no. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the best way. I mean, I struggle with saying no, and I think most people do on some level. But I'm in a in a period now of where of no being my default almost just for just for a while because I've recognised the fact that I'd said yes to a lot of things, some of them great opportunities, some of them absolutely worthwhile, but other things simply because I was afraid of saying no, afraid of letting someone down, afraid of uh, you know missing out on an opportunity. And I think when you realize that you've kind of tilted too far into saying yes, and and that means that you're saying you're having to say no to other things. And for me, that was saying no to things like weekends with my family or going to bed early and reading a book. Those things Mm. because I kept saying yes. Exactly. When you realize that there is there is consequence, you know, to to tipping one way too far or the other way too far, uh, it it's I think that's a really helpful motivator for me 
to say no and not feel in the slightest bit guilty about it because the reason you're saying yes is, is rather no is because you've said yes to something else. Um, Fantastic. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And and we all have limits and, and, and we need to acknowledge those. I mean, I was forced to learn limits through being ill, but I see everyone has the potential to burn out. And like what you just said about going to bed early and reading a book, I mean, that's just like my one of my most favorite things in the whole world. And I do that now instead of emails of a night time, because if you're saying yes to everything, you're on a computer at a time that's not good for your body. You don't want to be on a computer of a night time. And, you know, you you have to we have to treat ourselves with that same loving kindness we want to give to other people that time offline to read a book or hang out with your family or be with your friends or just to be is is just brings your best self into so much more presently into everything else that you do then in the public eye so it's it's about honoring our limits because we have them and we know we have them and we can keep denying them and our and life and our bodies are saying slow down say no everything else we either learn things the easy way or the hard way you know if if we really want to go as gently on ourselves we need to have the courage to learn it the easy way and acknowledge those limits early on when the warning sign before the warning signs become glaring Sirens, yeah. And it's interesting because <laughs> I think that, I mean, we, we know that and I know that, but it took it took those sirens, it took that kind of crushing collapse for me to pay attention and I'm an unfortunately quite a slow learner, I think. <laughs> um, but, but that's what it took for me and I speak to so many people who come to this realisation that we absolutely have limitations and we absolutely need to pay attention to them, but they come to that realisation as a result of some kind of crisis. It might be mental health, it might be a relationship, it might be financial, or it might be physical health as well, but so often it takes that that screeching halt of some kind of breakdown for us to, to pay attention. And you've spoken uh, briefly just a minute ago about the fact that you came to this kind of realisation and you've gone through a journey of illness do you want to talk a bit about that and how coming through the other side has, has led you, I guess, to this place of gentleness and compassion to yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I became a first-time mum at 45 and I was very blessed to uh, conceive naturally and, and quickly and I had a very healthy pregnancy. And then just after my daughter Eleanor was born, I was I had some aches in my hands and feet and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So I went on a journey with that where I was um, very determined to do it the natural way and very blinded by my insistence to do it that way and um, eventually just ended up so disabled that that my daughter was dressing me. She was two years old, two and a half years old. I was a solo mum as well. And um, it just had to get to the point that that I realized just because we can do it tough doesn't mean we have to. And it was such, such a huge insight for me that it had to get as bad as it did. And it get became horrifically bad before I turned a corner and then I, I eventually gave into pharmaceutical meds and they gave me a lot of mobility back but they also had side effects and event- eventually I found my way to the Ayurvedic path which is it's been fantastic for me on so many levels because not only is it a natural path and so what I take any pills I take now are only Ayurvedic herbs and they all they're all natural they're completely natural which is beautiful um, but the Ayurvedic lifestyle as well just resonated 
resonated so much with what I'd been learning in the the previous few years with the disease, and that was how much our how much stress affects us and how much happiness affects us. So, you know, one of the prescriptions my Ayurvedic doctor gave to me one day, she said, okay, I'm not going to change your herbs or anything else. All I want you to do until I speak with you via Skype in a few months is um, I want you to commit to something really fun every single week and not I've got a holiday coming in a month or I've got a long weekend in two months or whatever. Every single week, you have to do something that is really fun for you that's not involving the family that's you know and and it was a prescription that I I said okay I'll, I'll honor that and oh it's fantastic and she always says it's better to have a, a chocolate when you're happy than a green juice when you're stressed it's just don't do it don't eat when you're stressed and don't so so you know, the Ayurvedic path is, is much more about slow down, look at life, be present, acknowledge the seasons, acknowledge, you know, where you, what your body's telling you, the, the need for sleep, the get off technology, all those sort of things. And it was all of the things I'd been learning and coming to in my, with my own conclusions, through my own conclusions, through being ill, because my body was telling me all of these things mm. anyway. And as I was creating less stress and I was learning to say no and I was creating more space, it was benefiting me on so, on, on levels far greater than my diet. And I was certainly um, shaping my diet and learning an immense amount of things through that. But, but I actually found that the diet was almost consequential. You know, it, it wasn't as important as I thought it was. It, it is very important, but it was, it, it wasn't the biggest consequence. It, it was um, it was more about stress and joy and happiness and space and good sleep than you know the diet s- supports that. But it's through illness we can, especially on the wellness path, you can get blinded just by the the diet being the only medicine. And yeah, so for me, I'm I'm now at a place where just before I had this interview with you, I jumped on my push bike and went for a half hour ride. And, and because that's that's part of what I do now. And I couldn't have even got onto a push bike three years ago. I I was you know using a wheelchair any chance I got and um, at airports and a few other places and yeah I mean I I couldn't walk on grass this morning I hung the washing out on and I was bare feet on the grass because I never I just can't get over the gratitude for such simple pleasures so you know it's life has taken me on on a massive journey but it's it's enabled me to now share that wisdom onward because I'm I'm not learning it from books I've learned it from life experience and for that I'm I'm immensely grateful. That's so wonderful I'm so glad to hear that you know, you're, you're able to do these things now and that you're continuing to recover because, I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that would have been like for you. Um, and then to have your, your young daughter as well, uh, you know, there as part of your life and, and feeling all of that and, the, you know, the things that you couldn't do as a result. And I'm so glad to hear that you're able to do them. Um, what what I, th- I think you, you mentioned before the, the necessity to slow down and tap in. And I think that it's, I mean, it's no secret that the world is traveling at hugely fast, hectic, crammed kind of pace now. And everyone, almost everyone that I speak to is feeling that. And, and when we say, when I say to them, this idea of slowing down and tapping in and paying attention, it's almost kind of laughable to them that, that it's possible to slow down because everything is so stressed and everything is so, um, you know, sped up I guess and the the expectations and the obligations are felt so keenly 
what do you, <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, obviously I think mindfulness and meditation and things like that are so vital, but what do you think about the role of technology and social media in, in exacerbating people's kind of feelings of stress? Do you think that it's playing a big part? If we allow it to. Mm. Um, yeah, we, we definitely need to stop glorifying the busy. That, that is massive. We've, you can, you know, you say to s- s- people in certain, s- certain areas of society, how you go, oh, I'm so busy, I've got this and it's like, whoa, and that's something to be proud of? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's nothing to be proud of. That's, that's something to help me grow in compassion, you know, to, to hear you saying that, that it's like, oh, you, you poor thing, look, you know, stop, stop and breathe. So social media, you know, it's the world we live in. So, so we, we have to accept that. But how we use that is, is up to us. And I think it has, well... No, I think it only has as much role as we allow it to. So we can use social, and we and plenty of us do use social media in a in a very positive, loving way, to share inspiration and to remind each other of what's important. But for me, I'm I'm very much an advocate for getting offline as well. So it's not only social media; it's it's technology in general. So I don't have I don't do Facebook and Instagram and that on my phone. I, I ha- actually have them on my phone in my little travel file, my travel folder and I use them when I'm traveling if I need to. But other than that, I do them when I'm at home in my office at home. And so I can take photos when I'm out and the photo might be from the morning, but it'll be posted in the afternoon. Or if it's posted in the morning, it's because I've come home and I've posted from there. So it's again, it's how we choose to use it. And I don't do emails on my phone at all. And people learn that that there's, there's boundaries. If you create your own boundaries and use social media and technology in a way that works for you it may not be the norm you may not get as many followers as everyone else and you may not be perceived as as successful as other people and whatever but I don't really care you know (laughs) if you're living a life that's true to yourself and you're actually contemplating your eulogy or your deathbed and are you going to have regrets well for me What's going to what I'm going to have bigger regrets about would be that I spent more time on social media than socialising in real life, yeah. and that that's a bigger regret for me. Or not having the courage to let go of how I'm perceived over living the life I want to live. So the more we can contemplate death and our limited time that we're here, the less social media shapes us. And social media is a beautiful thing. It can be a really beautiful thing. I've, I've had so many fantastic incidences and experiences through through social media and contacts have been made. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it can be a beautiful thing if we don't allow it to shape us in, in ways it doesn't have to. We don't have to give it that power. Absolutely. I, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think I mean, I wouldn't have the job that I have if it wasn't for social media and the internet and technology. So it's not like I'm anti-technology, but I think it's we, we've stopped using it as a tool and we've started using it, you know, as as part of life. And I think that they're very different things. It can be a wonderful tool to use, but like you say, take the power away from social media and actually put it in a little perspective. You know, on on my deathbed, I am not going to lament the fact that I didn't have enough Instagram followers like that's not going to be something that that concerns me at the end of my life and that did not feature in my eulogy and I think that what I love about what you <laughs> say is that it really elevates you know elevates you to this 10,000 foot view of life and you're like is this really important does a Facebook 
friendship that with someone I've never met is that really important does this really matter and the answer of course is no but we we get so caught up in what a successful life looks like or what we should be pursuing as you know a measure of that success that we we kind of lose sight of of the things that really matter and that's what I love about getting back to the why or back to the you know the center the purpose the the things that are really important to us Mm, and that takes courage because it it goes back to that first regret that dying people shared with me that wishing that they'd lived a life true to themselves, not a life other people expected of them. It does take a lot of courage to let go of what people think of you and what people expect of you. It, it takes an immense amount of courage, but it also brings an immense amount of freedom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, and, and for anyone who's listening, thinking, how can I do that? Like, how can I let go? I mean, obviously, the first thing they should do is go and read your books. But the second thing, I mean, what's one thing that you could suggest to people who are just terrified of what it means to not care or what it means to let go of, of caring what what others think we should be doing and embracing what we want to be doing mm, just do a step by step take one step toward something that you want to do that scares you or because of how it will be perceived just do everything step by step don't think too far ahead and and just Grow into it, and as you do, you'll know how to deal with the next level of resistance from others or whatever. But just go one step at a time and know that you're on limited time and this is your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's so beautiful. And I think it speaks to one of the biggest things that I see people struggling with is we get overwhelmed by the enormity of changing the way we live you know if we're looking at where we are at point a which is thinking about changing and point z which is the kind of life we're heading towards we don't we can't see all the steps that are involved in that but what we see is the huge the vast distance and the difference between where we are now and where we want to be and that's scary and overwhelming and i i mean i'm very similar in the advice that i give to people in just take that first step because once that first step has been taken the second step becomes apparent Yes, that's right. It reveals itself. And I, I write about this a lot in Bloom in my new book that um, about timing and readiness. And so we have to grow into that Z point that we're, we're aiming toward. We have to grow into the dream. So it's okay to not know how it's going to turn out or or to be scared about the the end result because we're not ready for it yet. So if we do just deal with that first step, we're growing into that readiness. And then as we grow into that first step and it fits us, then as you say, the, the next step becomes apparent. So it's, it is a journey and as cliched as that is, it is a, a journey and, and we grow into it. We grow into that the life that we want step by step we do and aren't we just so addicted to instant gratification i think there is a whole relearning of of delayed gratification that needs to happen for a lot of us too in order to to be okay and to surrender i guess to the process well that brings us back to mindfulness because there is so there is gratification in in mindfulness because we we can actually stop and think okay i've I'm actually doing really well here for this moment. You know, this is better than where I was before. You know, I, if I can look back on who I used to be from where I am now, I can give myself gratification for what I've done. I can be grateful for for this moment, for what it's offering me, whether that's a bike ride, something as simple and beautiful as a bike ride in the autumn sunshine, you know, rather than the big, huge achievement, on a, you know, in, in the public eye. It's...
Yeah, absolutely. And and as you say, those moments of fun, even you know, fun that's been prescribed to you as a weekly <laughs> a weekly medicine, they're the things that that we remember. They're the like they're the rich ones. They're the the important ones. You know, one of my favorite things to do is sit with our my family on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon in the backyard and have a little campfire and listen to music. I mean, that's the simplest thing and and it's one of the one of the richest most delightful things that I can do with them at the moment and that that all that takes is us giving time for it you know and being open to it and not being distracted and not sitting there being on our phones while we're doing all those things and I think yeah it's it's in those simple joys that so much of of the gratification and the beauty lies well that's life that's living Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's the real stuff. That's that's and, and that's the crazy thing about how society's perceived now that that, you know, this what how success is defined. I mean, success is defined by leaving the space to do that because that's that's what real life is. Yeah, it's interesting actually, before just before we wrap up, I had a conversation recently with a woman named Annie Razor Rowland who's written a book called The Art of Frugal Hedonism. And she talks about how, you know, living a, a, like a simple lifestyle has allowed her enormous freedom in terms of, uh, you know, time and space and experiences. And she said so many people are envious of the life that she leads, but she sees them working so incredibly hard to gain, you know, status symbols or whatever it might be to have a bigger house or to live in a flashier neighborhood and, and spending more and more time at work, more and more time not doing those things that she gets to do because she chooses to live in a particular kind of way. And it's really interesting to see that the people striving for, you know, the next rung on the ladder, look at the simple life that she's living and, and see something enviable, not understanding necessarily that that's actually within their grasp. If only they'd let go of the thing that they were striving for. Mm. Well, you know, I'm. All of us are guilty of it to a degree. You know, oh, it all looks, looks, looks ideal. And even in Bloom, I, I fell in love with this particularly glamorous house. And, and through the journey of of um, making, you know, wanting that, I, I had to really reconnect with myself and realize, hang on, with that comes maintenance. You know, um, so many other things. You know, it's a it's a bigger house and and. And then I stripped it all back and just thought, that's actually not what my heart's asking for. It's what my mind wants, but my heart doesn't actually want that. And and I undid it all and pulled it right back to simplicity because that's the, the truest language of my heart. And in the end, I just thought – who why on earth would I want a place that big or acreage that's going to be five acres of mowing every weekend if I have acreage I only want it if I can have a caretaker if I'm at the other end of life where I uh, financial life where I can have someone to to help maintain it because I I want lifestyle lifestyle is way more important and for that you have to choose a smaller house and a simpler life and and you're right. I mean, it's exactly as as it was said that um, that, that it, it creates this freedom and space that we can all have um, if we choose it. But but we're too caught up in um, in all those other things that are, appear to be the the answer, and, and they're actually not. Mm. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Bronnie, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, before you go, I just want to. So to give people a heads up that your 
currently doing a bit of an events tour at the moment, aren't you? And there'll be a couple of events on uh, in Sydney and Perth in the next week or so. Yes. Uh, where where can people go to 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 grab tickets or find out more about that? Yep, it's bronnyware.com. And so I'm in the midst of my Australian tour, so you sort of have to act act now, but just go to bronnyware.com and, and you'll find out everything about those events, which are going to be beautiful they events. They beautiful. Yes. And if you happen to be listening yes. to this after the events or if you, you don't live in Australia, obviously, uh, please go and, and check out Bronnie's website and her beautiful books because they are so life-affirming and so – warm and wonderful. I mean, I know it was a blog post that kicked everything off for you, but there's so much depth in everything you have to say and have had to say since. Um, Yeah, that like I said at the beginning, just thank you for everything that you do and thank you for your time. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Brooke. Thank you as well. Thank you. I'm not going to do this unless you give short answers. No, no, Morgan, Morgan, we're doing the promo now. Is this my turn or not? It is, but just wait for the opener. 82.8 Scrum FM Cause nobody can do it like Seamus Seamus is trustworthy. Seamus is curious. Try to take Seamus, and you've got one hell of a fight on your hands. You're listening to Sampled Conversations with Seamus D. McCallery. Yes, this is Seamus D. McCallery from the Scrub FM Network, broadcasting all the way across regional New South Wales, and I am very excited today to be partnering with Jack Rabbit FM and bringing you to your feed my new podcast, Sampled Conversations. I've been lucky enough to interview some of the biggest names in show business, and now I bring you the best of the best. Some of the most intriguing and thought-provoking conversations I've had with celebrities ever, just like the conversation I had with Morgan Freeman. Morgan, what did you think of my interview style? Well, he's a bit of a (laughs) if you ask me. (laughs) That sample conversations delivered to your feed every Thursday. Hit subscribe. I don't lie. So much for that. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.